Good morning. I am Tracy, Blair's wife, which is why I'm up here, because it's Mother's Day. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a Mother's Day flavor. You are welcome to sit down. So today is a special day. We are so grateful for moms that give up their time, their energy, their gas money, their attention, their driving skills, sleep, lack of sleep, desires, and they give up their quiet day in and day out. You might have little ones or maybe not so little ones, and they're following you. They're imitating you. And I want to know if you can just sit in the quiet for a moment and think about how you're showing them life. So we're going to talk about that a little bit through this time because you carry a lot of responsibility and we celebrate you. So happy Mother's Day. And we also know in this room that not everyone is celebrating Mother's Day. There may have been loss over the last year or sadness. No flowers to buy, no cards to send. Just sadness or heaviness or maybe just some mixed feelings. We want to honor that difficult journey. And for others, you're not really sure how to describe the relationship with your mom. You're not really sure what it looks like, how it feels. Sometimes it hurts, sometimes it doesn't. And then there's others who desire to be a mom and that's just not part of the plan right now and your desires are not being met and there's grave sadness so i want to just bring all of that to the creator who sees that and put it on the table and just ask him to come close so father we are your people and you are leading us and you see the aches in this room you see the loss, the pain. You see the gladness and the joy, like it's in here. And you see the uncertainty, not knowing what's to come. And God, you say that you'll be there with us. We don't have to face it alone. So you help us just to remember and recall your sweet spirit being with us in this place. And if someone needs a shoulder or someone needs a moment, will you help us kind of go into that space for one another and lift each other up. I thank you for that. All right, today we're gonna look at what it means to follow. And unfortunately, I am not like Blair. I cannot memorize, I have to read, so I hope you will forgive me for such. And I do have a runny nose, so if someone has a Kleenex, if I could kindly borrow that, I, um, like if anybody would be willing to bring that, that would be awesome. I'm sorry, it's just gonna like drip down. Thank you so much, awesome, thank you. Okay, now, thank you, that was very kind. All right, so we all follow someone. Moms, your kids are following you. Dads, your kids are following you. Relatives, teachers, mentors, small group leaders, bosses, staff, friends, we're following someone. And if you're leading in any kind of capacity, you will know this because someone is following you. John Maxwell, who is the leader guru in Christianity, says, he who thinks he leads but has no followers is only taking a walk, which I thought was kind of genius. Great leaders have followers. Someone's behind you. And sometimes they even have great followers. Not always, but sometimes. And there are all kinds of leadership books and podcasts and conferences to find out how to be a great leader. There's also all kinds of information to find out how to follow well. Blair has been learning how to follow a healthy diabetic diet so that he can live long and his body will function well. And I have been learning how to study under professors, how to learn the process, 
trust it and not follow that critical voice that gets in my head that says I'm not enough. On and on, we learn how to follow. Who and what we follow has the ability to change us. The parent who attunes, the coach, the teacher, the boss, the colleague or friend who sees our potential and sees beyond the messes that we bring into the room really can change us. This is God's idea. Change occurs within relationships. If you don't have anyone around you, you don't know what. They will bump up against someone else that needs changed. So in following Jesus, who is the greatest leader, change can occur at the deepest core of who we are. This following is more than ordinary. That's not a have to follow, like a have to obey, have to exercise, do homework, go to church. This is not a simple one and done, oh, I'm gonna do this, like get this project in, pass this test or win this game. It's not even a follow so everyone sees me looking good follow or marking off how good I am so I can ignore that critical judge. Following actually comes from the word, um, okay, okolothia in Greek. It means to pursue, to attend, and to heal. And I love H-E-E-L. I love that picture. He's saying you could heal, stop, go, move on his heels. I imagine these disciples following on his heels, people following on him. Jesus was calling people close when he said, I want you to follow me. And the disciples in the early days did exactly that. They left everything, their boats, their livelihood, their fish, their families, their safety, the familiar and the known, and they followed on his heels into the unknown. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us about it. And the disciples were not the only ones. Others left everything and followed him. And written in the pages of the Bible are followers who struggled and needed to learn how to follow. Because I don't know about you, but for me, it takes practice. It's a pattern, a rhythm, a put two feet in front of the other towards Jesus. Fall, get back up, and keep going. And today we're gonna look at one person and watch what happens when she follows. So Austin spoke a little bit about the cross. We celebrated Easter a few weeks ago, and today we're going back to the cross again. Matthew 27, 55, and 56 says, Many women were there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to him. And among them was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, which we would find out later it's James the Less, and mother of the sons of Zebedee. And in Mark, it also tells us that there were some women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Less, and Joseph, or Jose, and Salome. And we're gonna find out who she is. And in Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. And many other women had come up with him to Jerusalem, and they were also there. And John tells us, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. So all together, if it gets a little confusing, there's Mary, Jesus' mom, Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James the Less and Jose, Mary, wife of Cleophas, and Salome, who is the wife of James the Great, as in other scriptures, and then John, who are the sons of Zebedee. And they're all watching, along with other women, the agonizing love sacrifice on the cross, the pain. 
They saw it. But they were looking on from afar, Theorio, to observe something with sustained attention from a distance, Macrothan, the same word from afar that was used to describe Peter when he went into that area of the high priest, Caiaphas, to find out what was going on. He followed John in and he was tentative. It was in the priest's palace after he cut off Malchus's ear and Jesus healed it, but it was before he betrayed Jesus. He was kind of tentative, steady and watchful, in the background, following, committed and tentative. The women watched as Jesus forgave his accusers and their betrayers. And they watched him ask for a drink knowing vinegar would not quench his thirst. And they saw him give up his spirit and breathe his last. Perhaps they stayed to see what was next. Perhaps they watched Joseph of Arimathea take his body down. We know that Mary Magdalene followed him all the way to the tomb where he lay them. And at some point, she alone or the other women went home for Passover. I wonder if they prepared Passover together. They listened to the readings, the music, the memory of being freed from Egypt as slaves, and now they felt new bondage. Their king had died. Rome would continue to rule, and their friend who gave them hope for a different kind of life was gone. He always knew the right thing or the loving thing to say or do, and now he was gone. In their sorrow, somehow, some way, they formed a plan. They had taken care of Jesus in his life, and now they wanted to take care of him in his death. So I can see them working out this plan and staying committed. And at the end of Passover, when the shops open up and all life comes back, they run out into the city and they buy some herbs and some spices in order to anoint Jesus' body. Then they hustle home and store them overnight. And I wonder if they had a sleepover, like, Mary, Salome, stay, like, come, like, let's do this together. I'm guessing they hardly slept. We know that it was still dark before sunrise when they got up and went to the tomb, saddened by the loss, maybe a little giddy with anticipation, like, what's next? And maybe just plain determined to get to the tomb to anoint him with those spices. They were no longer tentative, they were no longer looking on, they were compelled, compelled to follow Jesus. And their courage grew because they didn't care who was gonna see them. They didn't care if they were soldiers, if the stone was rolled away or not. Didn't matter who saw them or who didn't see them. They had one intent. They wanted up close and personal contact to care for the only thing that they had left of Jesus. First thing, in the quiet, unnoticed, unobtrusive, and committed to Jesus above everything. Now, it's not always the way with one of the women in this story. In fact, the first time we meet her, she's not quiet. She's obtrusive, and everyone around her notices. Now, at this point, we don't really know much about her. Her story hasn't come up. But we can find out a little bit about her when she asks her question of Jesus, because she's going to come right up to him. She had heard Jesus earlier say, ask anything you want, and it'll be done. So why not? He's going to be a king. He needs some people in authority. So she takes her sons up to Jesus in front of all the other disciples, not privately, in front of them all. She knelt before him and asked for a favor. 
In Matthew 20, 21, Jesus saw her coming, and he graciously asked her, what is it you want? And she told him, grant that one of these, my two sons, or two sons of mine may sit on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. I want you to listen to what Jesus asked. What is it you want? He sees her motive for herself, and that makes me shiver. And I don't know about you, but there's times I come to Jesus when I'm asking for someone else, and it's really about me. And he gets that. And Jesus knew she'd been brewing on this for a while. She's their mom. She knows her son. She's watched them grow. They were strong, young adults or teens working for their father in a profitable fishing business. Zebedee was well-known in the area. That was their dad. And not only were his sons working for him, he had servants. They had money, security, authority. Yet in all that, her boys were not enough to be called a rabbi, which was really the higher prize, something they trained for since they were boys. They memorized the Torah inside and out. Perhaps their reputation, which we'll find out a little bit more about, preceded them, and no rabbi called them. But on the beach that day, Jesus called them, and that was prestigious. And they knew Jesus, and they trusted him because Jesus was their cousin. It was Salome's sister Mary, who was Jesus' mom. Cool, I never knew that before. And when he called them, she watched them leave everything behind. The food, the money, the security, the prestige, their dad, the business, and they followed him. That was not done in that day unless you were called by a rabbi. So she followed him, perhaps an early helicopter parent, I wondered. Hmm, gotta see what my kids are doing. But she wants what most moms want, like we want them to make sure they're safe, they're taken care of, they live up to their potential, they find success, they live well, they're happy. So Salome and her sons have some private offline conversations. Jesus is building a kingdom, and it only seems right that his cousins who left everything to follow him should have a place of honor. They left a place of honor, and this is even more. Why wouldn't they have that? They're family, and they're mighty. They're nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. And this is not just in words. So if we go to Luke 9, Jesus asked the disciples to go into Samaria and prepare a place for him, because remember, he had no place to lay his head. And the Samaritans responded by saying, nope, no way, you are not coming here. So what do James and John do when they take that message back to Jesus, which I'm sure he knew? In Luke 9, 54, they say, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? Let's just get rid of them with some pyro, why don't we? And Jesus turned and rebuked them, and then he started off to another village. Nope. That is not the way of Jesus. We're not calling down fire. It's not the way he wanted them to respond or follow. He did not destroy those who did not want him around. He moved on. He's a gentleman. He'll move on. Now here they are, these sons of thunder, brought by mom Salome. So now we're back to the story. She's bringing the boys, and they actually hadn't refused their mom's decision, so they're in on the game plan. They're present and ready to act. And where there is thunder, there is lightning. And I'm thinking she's bringing her lightning right before Jesus. 
And she knelt before this hopeful king who would rescue them from Rome and ask for a favor for her. And then Jesus responds this way to her. You don't know what you're asking. So first, he determines where her motive is actually coming from and what it's really wanting favor for. And then he lets her know that she doesn't understand what her favor entails. I think he really gets us. Sometimes we bring our requests before God with favor in mind for someone else, for ourselves, for our friends, our family, and we can't see down the road. We don't know the cost. We don't know the consequences. And Jesus is so kind. He asked the sons of Zebedee if they can drink the cup that he'll drink of the death that would come. And when they say yes, he confirms, yes, you will drink this cup. But I cannot give you this places of authority. That's up to my father. Let me clarify before we go further. Asking God for what we want or think is good on behalf of someone else or ourselves is not wrong. He asks us to bring it to him. Let's, let's talk. Let's go. But for Salome and myself and maybe some of you, sometimes he just needs to tweak our motives a little bit and align it with him. He is so kind when we come to him and we have those unpure motives or we have a little bit of selfishness to say, mm, let's move that a little bit. For his kingdom to come on earth like it is in heaven, our prayer motive is actually to know him and align our will with his and not reflect what's on earth. And her favor reflected earthly motives of rights and fairness and power and status and positions of authority in an earthly kingdom. That's not what his kingdom looks like. And we know that because her words affect the rest of the disciples. Jesus looked around, and he saw the sting that they took in as indignation. There was fire between them, like this is going on. And what I love about Jesus is that he doesn't ignore the mess. He doesn't let him sit in it. He doesn't walk away. He knows indignation can grow. So he does what really great leaders do, and he gathers them around. And he talks about it with truth and with grace. And he calls them to steward their responses. Yeah, some things aren't fair. It doesn't look right. It's not good. But how we respond shows how we are following Jesus. In Matthew 20, 25, he tells them, now you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, I love this, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first, sit on my right, my left, must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. To be a great leader, to sit on the right or the left or with authority, you serve. You go last, you give your life away. So opposite of their world, so opposite of our world. 
Such a teachable, tender moment he has with his disciples from this. He can use anything for good. He was filled with strong love for them and direction. We say we want to know God's will. This is part of it. Then they're off, just like that. They leave Jericho, just like they left Samaria without calling down fire. Jesus didn't hang around and make a guilt trip out of it. He spoke truth, and then he moved on. He's so kind like that. You don't have to worry about coming to him because he's not going to be about the guilt. He's going to tell you. You reckon with it, confess it, and move on. And Salome decides to follow on with him. And this is what she hears next. Son of David, have mercy on us. Two blind men are following, and they know Jesus has healed. And he turns to them in Matthew 20, 23, and he says, What do you want me to do for you? And the words, I think, ran through Salome. She remembers the words that he spoke to her. What is it you want? Almost the exact words. His voice so close to her ear, and she remembers her request, what she wanted, the power, the status, the authority. And then she thinks about what they ask for. They ask for sight, not for power, but for inclusion in a community where they were outcasts. She watched Jesus melt with compassion, and he reached out to them and healed them. She felt their joy as they were healed. And in following him, she watched that over and over and over again. And as she watched him, she began to see. Her eyes were open to what following was. Three chapters and a few miles later, Salome hears words that rip right through her once again. In Matthew 23, 11 and 12, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And I believe her spirit melted. Yes, this is what it means to follow. She's heard it again. That's what it means to follow. The greatest will serve. I researched her character. I really couldn't find a lot. There's a few lines here and there. And I know I'm spinning a story as a woman to think this is what it would feel like. This is what it looked like. The Holy Spirit would move in our hearts and say, what would it look like when we come to the Bible and read these stories? They're just not passive stories. I wanted to know why Jesus responded with such kindness to that request that she had. When she desired something that was not really what aligned with him, why was he so gentle and so kind? Because I find that that's where my motives rest at times, and maybe you do too. She wanted her boys to be higher than other disciples who gave up everything else. I'm nonetheless guilty of that. Please, Lord, let my son win. Let him play well. Let him land this interview, get into this college, let her get that car. And at times, I don't stop to think, am I really asking for what aligns with his will? What if the opposite of that brings them closer to him? Sometimes I want the outcomes that forget about the partnership with Jesus. And sometimes I forget to ask him to even show me what to pray for when I don't know. I forget he's not my magic genie. He's instead the lover of our souls. 
and he wants to restore our children and the people we're praying for, our friends, our neighbors, the people we mentor, back to him. He wants our hearts. Then that's when real life begins. So to connect with him more than my desires, I began a practice of confessing before I wake and when I sleep. It's not something I've done very often, and actually what I found is the more that I confess, the more I have to confess, because at first I was like, well, I think I did a pretty good job today. Nope, not too bad, but as we go, ooh, I was kind of grumpy with Blair today, or mm, I did not respond well to someone in my family, or I don't know, someone driving down the road. I, I mean, I really don't care about that, but sometimes I get a little upset, and I, since I've been confessing, I found a place where I was being hard. I wasn't loving when it was hard. I was praying for what I wanted. We were in Israel, and Zion, my daughter, was here, and she was up to some shenanigans, and it broke my heart. I was tired, I was angry, and I was trying so hard to figure out the pieces of what to pray for and what to say so that I wouldn't say the wrong thing by text to push her away, and yet I wanted her to feel consequences from her actions. I wanted to finagle my way into her heart and sometimes just poke just a little. I wanted to yell, I wanted to write mean things about consequences, and I wanted it to stop. I was a mess and I was trying to hide it from the group that we were in. I felt such lightning in my belly and such lightning in my heart. I was ooh, a mess. And as I looked out the tour bus window one morning, I asked him to show me. I felt like he put his hand under the airplane that would get us there home safely, and he had his other hand under her. That didn't mean consequences wouldn't come. It didn't mean that things would be perfect or that circumstances would change. But what it meant was that I would sense texts like, I love you, no matter what. We'll talk about it when we get home. I love you. I felt a peace that I didn't have to finagle my way into her heart, into the words, because he had the words. And as I leaned up against his heart, I found a connection to him as I went to him about Salome. What were you thinking, Jesus? How did you come to that conclusion? I was reading in Romans. In Romans 12, 11, I found this verse. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Zeal, eagerness, gusto, zest, devotion, energy, a passionate course of action. Salome had a past passionate course of action, but for her spiritual fervor, her fire, her excitement, her boiling, her glowing, raging heater passion was to be centered on the spiritual things, not on earthly. And it shows up in how we serve ministers and waits on. And I wrote in my journal that day, you, Jesus, took the zeal of Salome, her gusto, her zest, her energy, her passionate course of action of mothering and valuing her sons, and kept fanning the flame on her spiritual fervor, her fire for you, her excitement, her boiling, glowing, raging heat of passion to serve you, minister, 
and wait on you. You showed her that following was better than favor. She released her boys to follow Jesus with their own flavor, and they became one of the three closest disciples to him without her even asking. They fell in love with him, and they followed him. They followed close on his heels. She followed close on your heels, Jesus, and learned to trust you. You trusted safely with those who were in her care, trusted to love her and those she loved, and she learned moment by moment to give you the desires of her heart. And the next time we see Salome, she's at the cross with other Marys. And then the next day or two days later, she's taking those spices to serve the king early in the morning when no one would notice and no one would applaud. Along the way, she had learned to trust the source of life. He was not afraid to step into the hard places of thunder and lightning. He wants our hearts, all of it. We can choose to be like Samaria and say, no, no way, not coming, nope, you're not coming in that space, and he'll move on. Or we can follow like Salome, imperfect, but willing to follow on his heels, let him make his home in us, consider our motives, confess them, and trust him. Not easy, but we can learn to trust him with the hard our family, those who follow us, our friends, our teammates, our colleagues, our neighbors. On and on, because we learn to pray for what aligns with his kingdom. Serving, giving, loving others, and wanting to win. He wants to win our hearts. And that's what the band is gonna talk about next. God wanting our hearts promising to be there for us no matter what. After Christ's death, Salome and the disciples felt abandoned. They had no idea. And I'm guessing they had a sleepless night or two. And they didn't understand what he had in mind. He wanted to win their hearts and show them it was safely tucked inside of him. And that is still his hope today. In the Father's unique and gracious way, he offered Salome something that she had previously wanted. In Mark 16, 1 through 7, when the women arrived at the tomb, they saw the young man in white sitting, and he told them to go and tell the disciples that Jesus was alive. Women would not have been the first choice to go and tell something of that magnitude. But Jesus was so kind, because in that day, you needed two or three witnesses of women in order to make something stick. And how many? For sure we know there were at least three. And Salome was one of them. And it reminds me of the shepherds, that Jesus came and he released his good news with people who would not have been the popular ones, would not have been the ones at the top of the chain. Salome was summoned and she was given prestige and honor, power and authority to announce all that Jesus had risen. But this time, she knew the heart of her king. She watched him up close and personal, right on his heels, and she practiced following and found that she did not need earthy, earthly favor for her and her sons. He had showed her what mattered, 
He was enough. He saw into her soul and he loved her. He loved all of her. She leaned her heart against his. And, sorry. and she felt him changing her heart. That's following. Serving unnoticed without prestige, unrecognized by the world, yet more powerful life changing. And in following Jesus, we find real love and life giving, life altering peace. Because we get to have his presence anytime, all the time, whenever we want it. He doesn't hang up on us. He doesn't have to go into a store and get something done. He's right there. No one in this room really knows what your heart is like or what's going on, except for Jesus. He knows. And he has such love for you. Underneath, or actually maybe even on your chairs, were some verses of that section of Romans that I found that day that I read I'd like you to take it with you, stick it in your car, on your mirror. I hope it encourages you. Maybe put it somewhere where someone can ask you about it. And there's a second thing. When you go out, there'll be some rocks on a table. At that time, when something happened that was beautiful in their heart or they wanted to make a commitment or show a following, they would create a memorial with stones. And I don't have big stones. But I have little ones that you could just pick up and take with you, stick it on your kitchen counter, in your bathroom, in your car, wherever, just to remind you about following, just a memorial to what that means, and that you're going to ask Jesus, what does my follow look like? What do you want it to look like? If you'll take two of those things this week and remember and reflect, I'm just going to ask one last time that Jesus will come close and that you'll be compelled to follow on his heels. <clears throat> Yahweh, Father, you see us, all of us. You love us like your love is so big. I can't, I can't, I don't even know. Bounce on it sometimes, fall hard on it sometimes, yell at it sometimes, and you're always there. And you give peace that passes understanding. You call us close because you want to give us freedom and love and joy and all the things when we're so busy chasing all the things. So we remind us this week you just come into our spirit, help us to talk with one another, reach out to a friend or just you and say, what do you want my follow to look like? You are the only one who can change us. You give us life. You offer us peace. And I ask for quiet moments to come this week for everyone in this room that will choose the quiet choose to hear your heart. In Jesus' precious name, thank you. Amen. Thank you, all of you, for attending and listening and trying to hear what God has to say. So, thank you.
So if you take those verses with you and pick up a rock, maybe that will remind you this week of what Jesus wants to do in your heart. Hope you have a happy Mother's Day or a great gray, sunshiny day out there, and we'll see you next week.